does. I hope that wherever you were, you had a wonderful Easter. But I really enjoyed our time together last week. It was a beautiful time. Um, I enjoyed worshiping with you guys. I enjoyed potlucking and uh, enjoying uh, fellowship and conversation with Life Church down the road. And all the kids that came for the Easter egg hunt, it was it was really special. It was really beautiful. Um, I enjoyed uh, our, our our messages that came through communion and then what Charles shared um, about the hope that we have because Jesus is not dead, but that He is alive. Um, and I, I appreciated um, how you shared about how, for the in the Jewish mindset, there was like. The, the way of viewing the world and time are like two different things. Like there's the present world that's broken and messed up, and then there's the future when God's going to come in and make everything right and save it. But then the crazy thing is that through Jesus, through the resurrection, somehow this future where God uh, is going to make everything right starts to break into the present. And, and that life kind of breaks into the darkness and starts to make things new. And, and I love the idea of it being a preview. Uh, that you're watching. It's a teaser for the movie that's to come. But it's not just one that you get to watch. You actually get to participate in, which is beautiful. And so we are going to explore what does it mean for us to be invited into that resurrection life right now. And we're going to be doing that over the next few months, and particularly as we have conversation and message together. And we're going to look at the uh, letter, the first letter to the Corinthian church in the New Testament to explore that. Because Paul, uh, the apostle who writes 1 Corinthians, um, by the power of the Spirit, he's looking at them and their life and their issues, and that church has got lots of issues. Um, and, and he's writing to them, and he's saying, this can be different because of what happened in Jesus. You don't have to be like everybody else because of what happened in Jesus. And so uh, I'm excited for those conversations that we're going to have, um, and it's about this new life breaking into the present world. So um, if, you, if you want to, if you have your Bible or have one on your phone, uh, we're, we're going to reread that section that Julie read, uh, not yet, but in about 10 minutes or so, and I'm going to need your input on it, okay? Um, I'll come in with some weakness and trembling here, so I'm going to need your help on today's sermon. Um, when I was in college, I went to Harding University, and um, uh, there was a group of students that started to meet on campus at one point, and they were studying uh, the book by Richard Foster, The Celebration of Discipline. I know some of you have read that or uh, know of it. Um, it's the book that's basically about um, how to uh, start living out Christian practices together in community, how to become more like Jesus, basically. And so this group starts studying this book, and um, it kind of got to be kind of an invite-only sort of group. Um, and they got really involved in each other's lives. So they weren't just meeting when they did these studies, but they would meet outside of that. They would get together early in the morning and pray. And this was before group meetings. So they had this phone tree like written out on paper, and they would call each other and encourage each other and see how they were doing. And it was a really cool thing, except that I didn't like it because I had not been invited into said study or group. And so I, I got together with a couple other friends that hadn't been invited, and we sat around with concerned looks on our faces and said, what do you think of doing in there? What is this that there's this celebration of discipline? Huh. And it sounds kind of cultish to me, to tell you the truth. Um, 
And I know, looking back on that, that all of us would have been quite fine if we'd only been invited into this study. But as it was, I was upset. I was insecure. What's wrong with me? And I I was thinking, you know, I'm going to start my own study. And we're going to get an even better book. And I don't know if I'm going to invite any of them to that study. So there. And then I would feel good about me. (laughs) So here's the irony. I look back at that time. And, I mean, it was a good thing. These guys were getting together to learn how to study about Jesus. And yet there was, some, there was uh, envy happening. There was suspicion. Uh, one guy ended up breaking up with his girlfriend because she wasn't in the group, and he was. I mean, it was, there was division that happened because of this. It was bad. How did something good turn into something that was breaking apart and causing turmoil like that? Um, Tell me if you can relate. Have there ever been has there ever been something you were part of that was started out really good, and then it, it turned into fighting and bickering and even division? Culture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're talking about today. Thank you. Ben. All right. Sermon over. Actually, after Val's communion speech, I was like, oh, I don't need to sign this. Um, any, anything else besides church experience? Have you ever experienced that? You're like, this is going well, and then all of a sudden, breaking apart. No? That's right. There's a dark cloud in my past, and I don't want to go there. Okay. Not marriage. Not marriage. Marriages never start out well and end bad. Okay. Okay. And we never use sarcasm in sermons. <clears throat> Is there a reason over there? Yeah. <laughs> really awkward seating arrangement for that comment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's just like when they say, well, we, uh, we've never had a fight. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. I was going to say for a friend. Yeah. In love. Just hypothetically. Yeah, hypothetically, <laughs> families could have, yeah, animals. Yeah, Gary. In high school, the, there were so many different cliques, and of course I was with the nerds. That's hard to believe, Gary. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, so that, I mean, uh, this time with your peers, and then everybody breaks off into cliques and groups, and there's you know, suspicion and distrust and whatever, fighting. Um, so last year we, we talked about the resurrection. Less than 20 years after that happened, um, about 20 years after that happened is, is when First Corinthians was written, but less than that, um, there's this mission team that's working their way through modern-day Greece. And uh, everywhere they go, um, the, the Lord is, is doing things and he's raising up new churches where they stop. And so uh, this team's led by the Apostle Paul. Um, at one point, he kind of breaks apart from his friends on, on the team, and they weren't dividing this point. This is like, uh, we're running for our lives, and I'm going this way. And so he ends up in Athens, and Athens is like the home base of philosophy and wisdom, and all the smartest of the smart people hung out in Athens. And uh, this is, I mean, this is where Socrates and Plato and Aristotle were hanging out, I mean, had taught, and this is, this is after that time. Um, but Paul goes up and he ends up on the hilltop of the Areopagus where, where they debate all the newest ideas. And he gives this really cool contextual sermon in Acts 17 of introducing them to Jesus. And it, it goes, okay, 
it, it kind of uh, it, it lands with a bit of a dud. There's there's a few people that respond to it, and um, but nothing that that ends up causing Paul to stay in Athens. And so he moves on and he goes to a city called Corinth. And Corinth is another big city. It's a it's a trade city. Um, and Paul's a little nervous when he gets there. In fact, he doesn't just automatically just start preaching full time. He's, he's kind of run out of resources for one thing, and he meets a refugee family. Um, that's that they're Jewish. They they're refugees from Rome, and their names are Priscilla and Aquila. Cute couple. Um, they uh, they say, you know, Paul, do you want to you want to work with us? We make tents. Does that sound interesting to you? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And so he makes tents for a while. And, and there's something in him that's, that's scared uh, being in this city. And he's had a lot of rough experiences up to this point. His life has been in danger. Um, he's been rejected by the people that he feels like he belongs to. But God comes to him in a vision. He says, Paul, it's going to be okay. Don't be afraid. I've got a lot of people in this city. And I want you to introduce them to me. It's going to go okay. And so eventually Paul's teammates catch up to him and he starts to preach and, and he is rejected in the synagogue, but he goes next door and he, and he sets up shop in a, in a Gentile guy's house and the church raises up and things go pretty well. I mean, two of the, uh, of the, uh, the letters in the New Testament are written to this church. So um, things, things happen there in Corinth. God's vision was true. Paul, after 18 months, which is a long time for him to be anywhere, ends up going back home uh, to his home base in Syria at Antioch. Um, Priscilla and Aquila, meanwhile, they've become Christians. It doesn't say when they become Christians, but they have at some point. They go to a city called Ephesus, and they meet there a man named Apollos. Now, Apollos is kind of young in in the faith, at least. Like, he's new to a lot of stuff. Um, But he's got a lot of potential. And so they become like his Jesus coaches. And they're like, hey, Apollos, come hang with us. We're going to coach you up in the Jesus thing. And so they, they show him some things, and he grows, and he becomes this dynamic teacher. Really, really powerful, very influential person. They say, Apollos, we're going we're to send you to go encourage all these churches that were planted across the, the water over there in Greece. And so he goes, and he, he goes, and he teaches, and he teaches in different places, and he teaches in Corinth. And he does it very effectively. And in fact, he can even go into the synagogue that rejected Paul, and he can kind of hold his own there. He can argue with them and, and show them from Scripture, you know, how Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. And so eventually he leaves and he goes back uh, to Ephesus. Uh, Paul, meanwhile, takes another trip. He ends up in Ephesus. He meets up with his buddies, Priscilla and Aquila, and they hear through the grapevine, actually through Chloe's household. I told Chloe um, that she had a household in the Bible. She was excited. Um, that things have kind of gone wrong in Corinth, that uh, things are not rosy over there. You see, um, some people, they got really excited when Apollos came, and they really thought that the way he was talking about the whole Christianity thing was really good, and they're like, we're going to follow this guy. We like Apollos. We're, we're with him. Some other people are like, hey, Paul started this church. We can't abandon him. We're, gonna, we're following Paul's way of teaching him. And some people must not have liked Apollos or Paul, and they're like, you know what? The original apostle was Peter. We're going to follow him, they call him Cephas in 1 Corinthians. But they're like, we're going to follow Peter. We're going to be part of the Peter crowd. And so Paul's hearing about, like, there's a group now, there's a faction that's following Apollos, there's a faction that says they follow him, and there's a faction that says they follow Peter. And, and some people think there's a faction that says we're just going to follow Jesus, but some people say, Paul is saying, I thought I taught you we're all just following Christ. Like, what's the deal here? 
And so, I want to say that what happened there in the Corinthian church is completely normal for the way that this world works. The way that things happen in the present age is that we divide up and we split apart and we fight amongst ourselves. And for Paul, that is not going to work out. Now, you know, in, in that Greco-Roman world, in Corinth, it was completely normal to hitch on, hitch your wagon to somebody that was important, that was somebody who was a good teacher. And, and, and through that, you not only got their teaching and maybe their favor, but you also got, you know, prestige and, and respect, whatever was due to that person. Like, you, you got some, you got a good feeling for being part of the Apollos Club. Um, there was also something called mystery religions in that, in that time, in that world. And in those, in those groups, that, that sounds kind of cultish, but it was kind of normal back then. And if you made it into the mystery religion, you'd have, to, you'd have to go through this initiation process. And after you got spiritually hazed, you got this secret special wisdom um, that they would only give to those that, that were the initiates. And you couldn't tell anybody after that. But it was really cool because you knew it. You knew stuff that other, other people didn't know. And so the idea that there's some secret wisdom that we're going to get, there's some cool spiritual club that we're going to be part of, we're going to follow a particular spiritual leader, that's just kind of the norm, okay, in their world. And Paul says, guys, that's not how we do it in this Jesus-following thing. We're going to look different. We're going to look and feel different. We're operating by a different set of rules. We're operating by a different type of wisdom. It's one that's based in a different type of power that comes through the cross of Christ and the resurrection. So this is what he says. I'm going to read that section again, 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25. And you guys pay attention because I'm going to need your help. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligence I will frustrate. Where are the wise? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, didn't know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our redemption, holiness, and righteousness. Therefore, as it is written, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. That's how it is with, with, with me and brothers and sister. sisters. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom. As I proclaimed to you the testimony of God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. One thing 
that as we read that, it's important to remember. And as Paul says, I came to you with nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. First of all, it's the Easter season, so we're like, where's the resurrection? Well, there's something about the cross that's speaking to this situation. And I, I want us to think about that. For one thing, for them, the cross was not something that you make into gold or silver and hang around your neck. The cross is when you're outside the city gates on a trip or going down to the lake or wherever, going out to the, to the ocean, um, you, you might have seen it off in the distance. And you avoided it because it was gruesome, because it was terrifying. You didn't want your kids to see that. It was shameful. It was horrific. It was degrading. And Paul, you're saying that the secret wisdom of God is found in that? Paul, you are saying that the sign that God has come to save us is that? That's foolishness. That makes no sense to us. It makes more sense to go after this attractive, you know, preaching that, that really is, uh, gets our, our hearts and our minds uh, excited. It, it's, it feels better when I'm part of this group where I, I belong to something important that I really like and I agree with. What is the, why is it the, at the cross that God brings his wisdom? All right, this is where I need your, your part to help. Uh, as Paul is looking at these breakdowns in this church, and this is what he says, why does this message of the cross why does this change things for them? What do you think? Okay, death changes everything. Okay. The self-centeredness, me being able to boast that I'm better or different or got the right thing than you. Instead, the cross is like, no, you're, you're dying to all those things. Okay, good. What else? What did you say? Community is gruesome. Okay, to live in community can be hard, especially in certain missional communities. Um, Okay. We need to connect in with that cross piece of our story. Good. What else? Well, the message wouldn't have to sit with what they knew because the playing field is just in the for everyone. That's awesome. Stole a line, I was going to say. Great. John. <laughs> say more. <laughs> in, in English. Remember, you must die. Yeah. Flat to remember you must die. Mm-hmm. It's used in the Middle Ages to remind everybody that that's we have come. Right. We all are mortal, and we didn't forget we're mortal. And so, therefore, what is comes after we all have to Therefore, what? Mm-hmm. If you're following Kev Hagen, or John Osteen, or Robbie Zacharias, or, you know, all these other. Or Paul and Charles, or. or Stephen. <laughs> yeah. Then that's interesting, but but it's all gonna it's all gonna end at death. 
Okay. So that is the common. So, 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 so the idea is like you're saying here. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and Jesus was saying that um, at some end of the story, which, that was my whole issue when I was teaching in college, is the coffin the end of the end of Is yeah. that all? Is there anything past? Yes or no? Yeah. Good. Um, so again, one one more. Uh, how does this break down these groupings, this, these factions in the church? Julie, you say? Well, I just feel like for them to put their focus on the cross, that would mean it's not about being right. Okay. So, okay. I feel like if you choose someone to follow, you're, tr- you're trying really hard to be right, get right, and like the cross is about forgiveness and mercy, right? Right. Okay. Good. Right. She was right about being then trying to be right. Yeah, Ben. Yeah, uh, I just think once once you confess that you follow a crucified Lord, yeah. um, saying follow Paulus or Paul or Peter, seems pretty small and trivial. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the confession of we follow Christ, crucified God. Yeah. Uh, sort of trumps all the different allegiances. Right. Rally around. Paradoxical, and and that that is what um, really connected me. Thank you, everyone, for sharing. I feel like the spirit works through these moments of sharing. Um, but it's the it's the boasting theme that really connected in with me. That that uh, it's it's easy, especially you think about my story. Like for me and my insecurity to latch onto groups so I can feel good, like I've I've made it into something, and then it kind of connects them with pride. So I end up you know one of I want to compare myself to what uh, other people are and make sure I feel good about me. And Paul's like, no. Your identity comes from one place. It doesn't come from you being able to achieve this or be a part of this. It comes um, from what Jesus has done for you. You can't be okay by yourself. Um, that's, that's for me. You know, I want to be okay in, in, in my associations and my knowledge help make me feel that. It's like, no, it's not from what you can achieve. It's what Jesus gives to you. And so the only appropriate response is just hold up your hands and just say, thank you, Lord. I didn't do anything. I didn't deserve anything. I, I'm following a crucified Christ. Um, that there's, no, there's no boasting in this for me. The wisdom of the cross levels the playing field, like you said. Um, and that's why in other places Paul says, you know what? It doesn't matter uh, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're slave or free, whether you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're in the in-group or the out-group because the cross levels the playing field. It's not about those things anymore. It changes everything. And to bring it into the world around us, when we see uh, the, the church divided, when we see all the different things that you can be in our world, in our culture, they are irrelevant compared to the grace that we receive at the cross. And so I want us to hear the beautiful, life-giving good news that's breaking into our world. Because we look out into our world, and it is broken, and it is divided. 
And no matter how well things start, they seem to break down in the end. But the wise and beautiful gospel uh, of Jesus at the cross is the unifying factor for us that changes everything. All pride and fear uh, can be given up at the cross. Uh, All identity, maintenance, and searching can be given up at the cross because we're just receiving who we are. We're not earning it anymore. We are free to be joyfully humble in front of what God has done for us. That we're all his children, and that's it. So, um, when Julie and I were in Vancouver, B.C., there weren't so many Christians there. And I know some of you have lived in places where, you know, you didn't find a whole lot of people that said that they were followers of Jesus. And so when you meet somebody that was a follower of Jesus, you, my first thought, our first thought wasn't to say, so what's your, what's your denominational background? What do you believe about this and this? Are you a liberal or are you a conservative? We didn't think those things. It was like, you, you believe in Jesus too? Are you serious? Are, are you joking with me? Seriously, don't mess with me here. Really? You, you're part of... It's like finding an, an old uh, extended family member that you haven't seen in a long time. You're like, oh, we're part of the same family. We're on the same team. We share a common heart mission. We share a, a common devotion. Um, and, and I know that there's going to be lots of differences uh, in the way that we worship and the way that we live and we're going to disagree about a bunch of stuff but wow, you, you actually believe in Jesus. Wow, this is amazing. It really felt that way because there's just so few Christians there. And I feel like we met like uh, all the Christians that lived in Vancouver and, um, <laughs> and we met Christians that were and walked with Christians that were charismatics and evangelicals and um, and Calvinists and Arminians and Anglicans and Church of Christers and, and affirming churches and non-affirming churches and we met uh, First Nations churches and Chinese and Korean and African churches and, a, and an anarchist church planner and a hip-hop church planner and lots of missional churches and Catholic churches and churches of the Nazarene and we met all these people and there was only one time in all that where we had an awkward conversation about what we believe and that was Julie was at a retreat center and they asked her about the end times <laughs> Um, God, God bless you, Julie, and she ran away. But um, all of the other times we would meet people, and and I never once felt like I was being, you know, tried, people were trying to peg me for, okay, what now, who are you, what, what's your background, what's your belief, what are you part of? It was like this welcome feeling, like, hey, you're part of the family. Oh, you guys, I know, I know you guys do some weird stuff. That's okay, we're part of the same thing. <laughs> And it was such an awesome experience. It was a beautiful thing, even though there were so few Christians there. And so uh, we moved to Dallas, and I had grown to love Dallas. Uh, I loved it even more than I, than I thought I would love Dallas. But it ain't like that here. There's a lot of churches. There's a lot of Christians. There's churches of every stripe and size. And there's, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that's still left over. We're, we're at the tail end of the Bible Belt kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's part of the culture we live in and the air that we breathe. And <clears throat> there's not exactly that team feeling. Um, you know, it's like a huge step that we met with another church that's different than us in a lot of ways and had a potluck. And it is. Praise God. That was awesome. I loved that last week. Um, but that's really rare. 
Um, the fact that there's usually a lot of competition between churches or suspicion or like pegging people for who they are and what they're, you know, oh, that's that type of, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I've done that. And um, that's kind of the norm here. It's a, it's a comparison game. And I feel like I feel like if Paul wrote to the churches in Dallas, he'd say, guys, you guys are living as part as if you're part of the present age and not part of the age to come. Um, and that he invites us into something different. I think first, the cross of Christ, because it levels the playing field, it makes us a humble people. A people with just a simple gratitude for what God has done for us. And so, when we think about even ourselves, we have to have grace. I look at myself 20 years ago, and I think, you know, that was a... I was a sweet kid, you know. I was excited about it. I just become a Christian. I was excited about God, and um, but bless, bless his heart, man. He had some mixed up views about God back then. That's okay. He's gotten a lot better. And in 20 years from now, I'll look back at me now, and I'll say, you know, there were some good things going on there with with Paul at that age. But I'm sure glad he's grown since then. <laughs> There's grace for me then. There's also humility. Now I'm like, man, I've not got to figure it figured out. And the same is true with churches. The same is true. I, I know that storyline is great. I know that we're. I, I love our church, but man, we got some stuff to work through. Some of the of which we know, and a lot of which we don't know. And that's okay. That's how every church is. There's got to be a, a a humble grace that we pour out on ourselves and on others. I think because of the cross. The cross means that our first instinct towards others is love. Because that's the instinct God had toward us. Um, the natural thing to do in this world is to break apart into groups. And as Val, you said during communion, when we disagree, we just split and we go our own way. That's the natural thing to do. And it's not because, it's not out of love that we do those things. It's out of fear that we do those things. And so, um, when we find ourselves doing that, when we find ourselves uh, responding to others in fear, when we find ourselves just trying to put them in in a space with the words we use, the names we call different groups, um, what if we let the cross bring us to a place of love first for others, where there's no room for boasting, like none of us have any room for boasting, no church, no group of Christians, no group of Christians within a church have any place for boasting, and so our first instinct is love. I think the new life on the cross is characterized by wanting the best for others and cheering them on, even when they look differently from us. And so we're cheerleaders for others that are different. Even if we have disagreements and we don't believe in everything they believe in, that's okay. Now, what I'm not saying here is that differences don't make any... I mean, that there's no, no issues that are going to come up or there's not going to be uh, a responsibility for us to do the best we can um, to, to be wise in the Spirit and to, um, and to follow Jesus well and, and to apply his, his teaching to our world and how to be his followers in this world. I mean... The reason we have First Corinthians is because Paul looked at that church and said, you guys have got some issues that need correcting. We're going to correct those things. So I'm not saying that all the differences between churches and groups are irrelevant. Don't hear me saying that. But what, I, what I am saying is, I think the cross makes our impulse 
be one of cheerleading for others first and wanting the best because at the core we're united in our dependence on him and so our instinct is to do that even when others might look at us and be like well you guys do this and this and this wrong and that's hard to take criticism um, or or dislike or, or division but what if our response was like you know God bless you guys for what you're doing. We're going to be praying that God, God's kingdom comes where you're at too. And, and may they do the same with us. So for me, it's kind of a hard word because it means being humble and being gracious. And, um, but it's also one where I feel like God invites us into a new way of life. And that he's inviting us to start to be that church that is humble that cheers others on, um, whose first instinct is love, even when we have differences among us. And goodness, there's going to be differences among us as a church. And what if we could be a picture of the kingdom that works through differences because we have a commonality at the cross and that moves us to love each other first and to seek understanding and communication instead of, like, I can't believe he thinks that, walking away. Um, what if, what if we could be a picture of a commun- community that is united around the table where we receive together and our differences fall apart in the glorious grace of the cross? I want to be a part of that.